Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. Over the many years now that we've been uh, producing this podcast series, one of the interesting outcomes is getting to know more about what uh, I think most people would consider you know, common or easily identifiable legal terms. Uh, in fact, a, a key purpose to this podcast series is to provide information and education on matters of law so that, well, whether you're in the field or just general public, we can all share a common understanding. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell. And yes, today we're going to I'm going to provide uh, what I anticipate will be a nice overview of one of those common terms, attorney-client privilege. Um, with the assistance of Laval Law Attorney Brian Massimino, we'll not only get a good foundation, I think, but uh, share some information for those of you who may uh, at some point need services of an attorney. Make sure you don't overlook and waive the rights to this privilege if necessary. So, Brian, um, looking forward to talking to you. Thanks for taking some time again today. Likewise. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, so, can you start us off just with a, a basic definition of uh, attorney-client privilege and get us started from there? Sure. Always a good place to start with the definition. So, as the name suggests, it's a privilege, and a legal, uh, the attorney-client privilege is the privilege that protects the confidentiality of certain communications between an attorney and his or her client. So that's kind of the general idea, is that it's uh, intended to protect that confidentiality between attorney and client. And, and when we talk about that, is it designed then to be used in a way that allows them to have open conversations without any fear of what might be right. shared? And that's exactly right. Uh, we always ask, or we always address the purpose of it, and, and the purpose is just that for complete, full, and open communications between the attorney and the client. And, you know, after having practiced law now for 17 years, it's one of those things I get a pretty uh, a good sense early on if a client is censoring their communications. And I mm-hmm. always assure them, look, you know, in our communications, these are privileged. No one can force me to testify as to what you're telling me, and no one can force you to testify what you've told me. And so that usually kind of puts people at ease, like, okay, that I can speak openly and uh, you know, attorneys who are kind of kept in the dark on important issues are really at a disadvantage. And if they're at a disadvantage, then their clients really at a disadvantage. So it's really in in the best interest of both the attorney and the client to work together uh, to to maintain that uh, communication and and to know that there is this privilege really makes that communication possible. Mm-hmm. Now, does that does that privilege begin? when the client calls and says, hey, I've got something, I'm looking for an attorney, I need to talk about it, is that, is that like right when the clock starts ticking or does something else have to happen to yes. kick, it, kick it into gear? Yeah, yeah, good question, and, and that's that's absolutely the case. It, it really has to do with the idea that someone is seeking out legal services from a licensed attorney. And so it begins with that very first phone conversation uh, reaching out to identify an issue, ask questions, try to get a sense of what their legal rights and responsibilities are. Uh, so that very first conversation 
Um, and it's also important to keep in mind that um, you know, even when, when potential clients are interviewing attorneys and they don't even end up retaining them, that those communications they had with the potential attorney to represent them are, are privileged. You don't, the client doesn't have to pay the attorney for the privilege to attach. So these initial communications and conversations with attorneys uh, can be very valuable if you, you know, getting that relationship off to a good start um, really is, is built on that foundation of communication. So um, I always remind people, even if you know, it's clear that it's a matter that maybe that we're not going to be able to help them with, uh, but not, not, nevertheless, the communication is still privileged. It's it's really interesting when I talk with some of your peers on on this podcast series. Um, you know, we've we've referenced the legal documents going back, I know, to the late 1700s. Uh, talked about one from 1803 <laughs> recently. Um, is attorney-client privilege really one of those bedrock concepts that's that's frequently appears in case law, and this is something that's kind of always entrenched in your work? It is, I, and I don't even know that I could identify uh, uh, how far back it goes. I think it's just been mm-hmm. baked into the system for time immemorial, and it's 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 really a bedrock of of allowing us to do what we do and to be effective advocates for our clients is to is to have that communication and that that foundation. Now. Regardless of when it started, let's come very current here because you recently authored an article on, on making sure that as a client, someone like me wouldn't commit what, what you refer to as an unforced error and, and waive this privilege. So it's not not just a privilege right. we can assume is always there. Tell, tell us what you mean by an unforced error and what we're going to talk about today. Sure. So I like the term unforced error. You hear that in sports a lot, uh, in tennis, um, that the idea is that you make a mistake not because of your opponent's skill, um, but because of your own blunder. And um, I consider waiving the attorney-client privilege to be an unforced error because it's it's something that your opponent is not forcing you to do. They may later in litigation work their way into discovering communications but it's really what you do and how you handle it long before there's ever any litigation uh, that, where that communication might come to light. So uh, there's little things that can be done on the front end to, to protect it, and that was the intention of, of my article and trying to educate clients long before they would ever even need us that there's certain things you should do to, to maintain that privilege. Uh, I want to walk through some of those today, uh, some what sure. seem to be very, very common things that uh, many of us wouldn't think of. And the first that you mentioned would be just sharing information from an attorney. You have a conversation with your yeah. attorney. Um, exactly. What happens if client turns around and continues that conversation or shares something in writing with someone else? Yeah, so that's that's what we would typically assume to be a waiver. If you've taken what is otherwise privileged communication between an attorney and client and transmit that either verbally or what I often see is a client forwarding an email from that contains attorney-client privilege to a third party, and then it comes back to me because that recipient then responded, I see that email chain. I have to advise the client, look, that's by sending our communications, you've waived 
the privilege to that. We can no longer at some point down the road claim that that's privileged because you've shared it with someone outside of our you know, uh, circle of privilege, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's what I would consider to be a very common type of waiver. Um, we're just starting to dig a little deeper into our conversation with Lavelle Law Attorney Brian Massimino today uh, on attorney-client privilege. I mentioned earlier an article that Brian uh, recently posted. I, I want you to go to lavellelaw.com to take a look at that. It's on Brian's profile page. You can also read about his practice and, and learn more about some of the recognition and accolades he's received as an attorney. Um, LavelleLog.com, a, a great site for legal content and access to all of our podcasts, articles, videos, much more content. Um, Brian, as we continue here, let's reverse that process of sharing information. If I'm a client and I send something to my attorney, uh, does that automatically guarantee that it's protected under this privilege? Yeah, good question and, and a very common misunderstanding or misconception. Uh, just because you send something to your attorney doesn't automatically make that communication privileged. Um, and there's some real real nuanced uh, elements to that. But the, I think when I explain it to clients, it makes sense to advise them, look, courts are savvy enough to know that if anything you send, to your attorney became privileged, you could essentially lock down um, all kinds of evidence by just forwarding it to you, to the attorney, and that's not that's not the intention of of the privilege. So the courts are not going to just uh, agree automatically because you've sent something to your attorney that makes it privileged. So it has to meet certain elements for it to to, to satisfy the privilege, and one of them is to seeking some kind of advice or recommendation from the attorney in his or her legal capacity. So sometimes you might send a contract to an attorney uh, in an email. This is a common thing for me. I get a a, a contract from a potential client or a client, and they may ask a question, hey, what does it mean when it says in paragraph 5 that X, Y, and Z? Well, that question and my response to that question, that would be privileged, but the the, the contract or the document that's attached is not. So that's another way to kind of slice it a little bit thinner and how the courts would look at those communications. So communications can be partially privileged, entirely privileged, or no privilege at all. So it's, it's not necessarily all or nothing. And, and when you're looking to protect that confidentiality and, and uh, uphold the privilege, does it make sense, uh, from your point of view, would you recommend that when people have questions or something that deals with an ongoing matter that maybe they just have a phone conversation with you first? Is that a better way to manage the process? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's um, a, a better thing to do to, instead of click and send, just pick up the phone first and have a have a phone conversation about it. Um, you know, it's very easy to inadvertently waive the privilege and we, we see that in cases frequently where someone says, hey, I didn't intend to send it, or I didn't intend to waive my privilege, but the court doesn't think of it that way. It's really if you've sent something that is confidential outside of the, uh, the attorney-client relationship, then there's a very good chance that it's been waived. There are some exceptions, and there's things that we can look at to try to protect it. But, um, yeah, pick up the phone before you click send is a, is a better approach. 
Now, I know a lot of times legal matters might involve um, a third party, and maybe an accountant, a financial advisor, mm-hmm. uh, you know, someone who is a, a professional who is also involved in the client's dealings. Um, if mm-hmm. someone like that becomes involved, does that kind of draw the line then in terms of the privilege again? Yeah, so it does get a little bit um, more difficult to assess when you're looking at third parties um, and and just dealing with businesses themselves. Um, you know, there's a whole other type of analysis in terms of when the privilege attaches for communications involving a business because businesses have typically have multiple people involved and different levels or hierarchy. And so we have to look at, you know, who's the decision maker in the business, who reports to the decision maker, and um, that type of analysis has to be applied to consider the application of the attorney-client privilege. So the same thing can kind of extend to call them independent contractors, people who advise or work with businesses or or individuals as well. Um, So we have to be very careful um, about our communications with, um, you know, an accountant or someone who's advising the client uh, on a, a related matter, but not necessarily the legal issue that we're trying to protect. We've got uh, maybe just a minute left or so here, Brian, but I, we've talked about uh, in, in nice detail here today uh, attorney-client privilege. Um, does, it, does it have a lifespan? And at some point, does it, does it end or expire? Right. So, if it's done the correct way, no, the, the privilege will last indefinitely, and it even survives the death of the client so, and the attorney. So it's, it's one of those things. People have divulged things to uh, lots of attorneys over time, and um, as long as the, the privilege has been protected and the confidentiality of the communication has been protected, it, it goes forever. So it, it even survives the death of the client. Um, well, I, I, as I said at the beginning, we, we'll just never get uh, to everything on a topic, but an outstanding overview today from Brian Massimino. I want to thank Brian for being here. And, again, recommend uh, a couple of minutes spent at LavelleLaw.com. Um, so much great content there, including the article we've referenced today and many others. And um, if you are interested, maybe want a little more information or um, – and need some additional assistance, you can call Brian or any of the attorneys at Lavelle Law at 847-705-7555. They'll, uh, they'll always pick up. So, Brian, thanks for being with us. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, continue to uh, uh, provide the information for you as best we can and always point you over to the website, lavellelaw.com. Thanks, everyone, for being here.